Hi, everybody. Hi. Thank you, Patrick, for those kind words. Uh, love, lovely, lovely introduction. Thank you. I will uh, talk about myself a little bit now just to, for you guys to get to know me a little bit. Um, you might see a picture behind you. Um, this, uh, the one on the, on, to your left is the one I wanted to include. It, it, it's a pretty central park. Uh, the one on, on your right is kind of like the E! News, like behind the scenes. What's our marriage actually like? Um, I'm married. My wife, Jana, is, is here. Um, we've been married for seven years. And uh, on December 30th, we celebrated seven years of marriage together and six months living in New York. Um, we've lived in New York for six months now. And like Patrick said, we, we are here to do collegiate ministry. We work with collegiate students um, because both my wife and I were so transformed in college. Um, both of us made decisions to follow Christ in high school, um, but uh, kind of revolutionary idea. We didn't know that like Christ changes everything. And we kind of, it was like this thing we did on Sunday mornings and it was great. But then um, when we got to college through, through mentors that we both had, um, we realized like Christ changes everything. It changes every, he changes everything about the way that you live every day, Monday through Saturday and Sunday, it changes everything. And it uh, changed our lives. And so we, we thought what, what better way to spend our time than helping other students uh, realize the same, that Christ changes everything. And so we got into uh, college ministry at, in uh, Ames, Iowa, Iowa State, um, town of 50,000, uh, half of the population of Long Island City uh, was this entire town. And um, from there, we ended up in New York City. Um, we ended up here because uh, six uh, years ago, um, we went on a spring break trip and our hearts just broke for New York City. And, and we also loved it at the same time. It was like this weird, like there's a need, but we love it here. So that's how we ended up here. We ended up at NYU Tandon School of Engineering in downtown Brooklyn. Tandon is this bloke that gave $100 million. That's the significance behind what Tandon means. Um, they're like, okay, we'll name the school after you. So um, that's, that's where we work. And we work with engineers all the time. And, and it's, it's a blast. We love what we do. And we love of college ministry. Um, and the other thing I, I want to say by, by way of um, uh, introduction, and, and it, it's kind of surreal for me to be here. We, when we came here six months ago, we were planning on doing like a church hunt and like looking at all these churches. And like week, week one, like Patrick is like really nice and he's like talking to me and I'm like, okay, this guy's pretty legit. Week two, like several of you like volunteered to help our ministry and at that point, I was like, all right, I think the hunt's over. Like, I think, I think we found our home. And, and by the way, Patrick didn't pay me to say this um, yet. Um, but um, it, it, it was amazing. You guys just uh, adopted us and you and moved right into being Christ's hands and feet. And we we're like, I, th- I, th- I think this is our home. And so it's, it's, it's amazing for me to be here, to stand where, where Patrick is. And it's a huge honor. So thanks, thanks for having me this morning. So like I said, uh, I've been doing college ministry now for uh, six and a half years, and there's a word that has come up more and more and more over the years. And um, er- earlier on, it, it was a word that only graduating seniors used, thinking about the future. And then the next couple of years, we started hearing it from juniors and sophomores, and then pretty soon we're hearing it from freshmen. And it's the word anxiety. It's the word or, or, or the phrase, I'm anxious. And more and more, we're hearing this, this idea of, of anxiety. I'm anxious all the time. And we're hearing it from freshmen thinking about their experience in high school and thinking about what, what are they going to do from college and, and, and beyond. This, this word comes up all the time. And um, there's been a recent study that more and more people are identifying as anxious. And that, that's actually more, 
it's triple the amount since the introduction of the iPhone. Um, that's actually tripled since that, that introduction. More and more, we live in an anxious culture. And um, when I think about community, I think anxiety is, is, is enemy number one to really experiencing community. It's enemy number one because it's, it's so corrosive within us and it keeps us from really experiencing how God meant community in vulnerability and, and realness, right? And there, this anxiety is in, it, is in us. And, I, and I've lived this. Anxiety is a big part of my own story. Um, I remember the first time I really felt anxious. I was a uh, sophomore in high school, and I was um, five foot three, 120 pounds, asthmatic and allergic. So naturally, I went out for the football team. <laughs> just makes sense, right? And um, just because of, of random circumstances, I ended up having, at, at that size, the best hands on the team. Now, I wasn't that fast, but I had good hands. And what that meant is that I was basically good for receiving kickoffs. I couldn't do anything else but receive kickoffs. And if you don't know, the kickoff um, ceremony, I'll call it the ritual, it's barbaric. It's where the, a whole host of people get a running sprint at someone who's five foot three, 120 pounds, allergic to grass and asthmatic, that has to catch it at a standstill and then hope not to get crushed, right? And I only had three options every single time I caught the ball, okay? Well, there was a fourth, but that, the touchdown was never happening. I only had three options. It was one, like, break a bone and then uh, land in the grass and, and uh, sneeze and then wheeze because I'm asthmatic. Or reverse the order. Or I'd run for a little bit, get asthmatic, wheeze a little bit, get crushed, and then break a bone and then start sneezing. Th- that, those, those are the only three options that I had. And of course, you can imagine I was anxious all the time, right? And, I, and, and game days, I remember the, the anxiety being like this, I would describe it as like two snakes wrestling in my stomach. And I wouldn't eat, I, wouldn't, I would barely talk, which if you know me, that's weird. Um, and, and I was just so anxious. And, and I never really dealt with this anxiety, and, and it got worse and worse until a couple years ago. Um, I, there, there was two weeks where we were launching uh, into the fall ministry. And for those two weeks, I w- worked 16, 17 hours a day, was sleeping one or two hours a night. Not because I had to, but because it was, I was always like, if I don't do this, this, this is going to collapse. And it was beyond logical, rational thought. And that culminated in a migraine that uh, actually looked like a stroke, where my, my, my body was like, it, we're shutting down. Like, we got we to hit the reset button. We, we got to stop. And for two, two weeks after that, uh, I actually didn't work at all. I, I, couldn't, like, I couldn't be around light. And God I graciously did that to get a hold of my attention. He said, Jared, you've been living out of anxiety, and let's talk about it. Let's talk about anxiety. And for those that, that are wondering what, what anxiety is, I learned some things. It might sound like this ambiguous kind of uh, ethereal term, right? But anxiety, um, a couple ways that it was described in those two weeks, it's the disease of what if. It's, it's constantly going, what if this? What if that? What if this? If that happens, what if, what if this happens after that, right? And, and you can kind of feel the panic hurriedness, and even as I say this, right? But this, this is anxiety. What if? Someone described it as building bridges to places that don't exist yet. It's, it's, uh, it's always preparing for the worst. P- things that are potentials that aren't really real, right? Always building those bridges. And what anxiety, what, what, what God revealed about my anxiety is that it was a combination of, of two things. One, a truth, but two, a massive lie. And, and it's this, this truth that you are not in control. You are not in control. And that alone doesn't, doesn't need to destroy you, but it does when it's, when it's paired with, and nobody cares. 
You are not in control and nobody cares. And so what do you do? You live this constant, do I, I'm going to try to, I'm trying to grab control, but, but I can't, I'm not, I'm not always in control. And does, is anyone really watching? Does anyone really care? And God brought me to this verse that I want to share with you that will guide the next two weeks for us. Uh, he brought me to uh, Hebrews 10, uh, and, and I'll read 19 through 22, but we'll really highlight verse 22. Um, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence that there are the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest, over the house of God. Uh, let me summarize that. Jesus is the high priest, and he paid the way so that we could, we could be in relationship with him. That, that's what all this, this wonderful language, this beautiful language means. Since we have a great high priest, verse 22, this was the verse, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And there's two phrases in here that just uh, floored me at that moment. The first was, let us draw near. Us draw near. I think in, in, in my relating with God, I, I never really thought that I could draw near. That he was, there was, there was always this distance between God and I. That, that somehow, like, even, you know, there's these pictures in, in the Bible where people enter the throne room, but they're always at a distance it seems like, in the Old Testament especially, right? Like they're shouting. But here the invitation is to draw near. That's a relational uh, word. That's a relational phrase, to draw near, be face to face. And the other aspect of this that just blew me away is that he uses the word us. I grew up in a Western individualistic culture. And when I read these, we, when I read these things, I always think about the individual benefits. But here, it, it, it was a, it was a Middle, Middle Eastern culture it was very communal. He, he is inviting us to draw near. This, we are meant to experience this drawing near together. It's a communal thing. It's a together thing. That's on purpose because it really aids in this nobody cares lie when we do it together. The next phrase that, that, that is going to guide our time as well is in full assurance. Full assurance. Now, full doesn't mean mostly full. It's not 51% full. It's not 75%. It's not 99%. It's 100% complete full assurance. And isn't that the question that anxiety asks? Are you sure? Are you sure that that's going to... I'm going to do this. Are you sure that's going to work out? And here it says full, complete assurance. What would it look like for us to rest assured? And I like adding that word rest. Knowing that, it, that, it, that, it's, that it's a done deal, that it's sure. I can be sure of something. And so what we're going to do this week is we're going to go after this assurance. What, what, what is this full assurance? How can we rest assured in Christ? And then the next week, we're going to talk about what that looks like in a community and what it looks like to experience this assurance together. And really... You know, wherever you are in, in your anxiety levels, we all face these, these, these problems, right? That we, our lack of control and, and the thought, does anyone care? And assurance, I think, is a part of, you know, I, I'm not going to give a one-size-fits-all, but I, I am here today 
completely changed because of this thought, and I hope that it encourages you that you can rest assured in a few things that are, that are ironclad always that, that should aid you in your fight against anxiety and, and, and in it fight this anxious culture. We live in an anxious culture. So that's, that's where we're going to go today. I'm going to pray, and then um, we'll, we'll get started in, in the beginning of the chapter, and we're going to talk through four assurances today. Um, peel your ears back, buckle up, whatever euf- euphemism you want to, to use. We're going to go through a lot, and I'm, and I'm going to try not to use too many theologically heavy terms. I might slip into it sometimes, but um, ho- hopefully uh, this, this will be encouraging for you. Jesus, thank you so much for the assurance you offer, that you are a sure thing, that we can be sure of your love and your presence. Thank you for, for how you intended us to live in community, God, and, and would, your, would your words today from your, from your book um, teach us and illuminate spirit. We, we invite you into this time. Teach us about the assurance that you offer. In your name, amen. Alrighty, so we're going to start uh, 10, 1 through 4 at the beginning of the chapter says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered uh, every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So some, some background, some context for us so we understand some of these words. Hebrews was written to Hebrews. Um, it kind of makes sense. Uh, Hebrews written to Hebrews um, by maybe Paul, but more likely one of Paul's uh, men- mentees, disciples, to people who um, were Jewish who believed in Jesus. And um, they were beginning to question their own salvation and, and what they really believed in. And so this, this whole book is about assurance about holding on to what you can be sure of. And um, he offers kind of a juxtaposition here that, that guides our time. There's uh, the law, which we don't uh, talk about the law a whole lot, but the law is kind of summarized in all of the things that Israel did to prove that they were God's people. All the things that Israel did to prove that they were God's people. And they, they, there were commands that God gave, and then there's like these other things that Israel began to like add on to that to try to prove that they were good enough, but it's all these things, and, and it includes like ritual sacrifices, moral commands. It's, it's all of these things that they did to prove. And here he says, there's, there's that way, and uh, included in that way, you'll, you'll see this, this idea of repeated sacrifices. So he wants to really highlight, if you, if you believe in this way of, of trying to prove yourself, you're going to have to keep offering sacrifices over and over and over and over again. And you can do that. That's, that's this way. And he calls it a shadow. Uh, a shadow has, has the form but no substance, right? It, it, it kind of has the shape. You can kind of see it, but it doesn't have, have the real power of the meat. And he says, that's, you could you try to do that. Or there's a new way, one sacrifice for all. And, and that, that's the argument that he's really building here. And, and a couple of words that we need to define some more because they're, uh, they're words we, we might say a lot, but there's, there's some ambiguity surrounding them. It's sacrifices and holy. Things we don't use in everyday language, but sacrifice, uh, for them, it was, you know, when, when we think of sacrifice, it's kind of like, like this, right? It's um, killing an animal and, and it's blood covering sins. That, that's what sacrifices were. But really, f- the broader definition that we'll use today 
is it's anything you give up for divine pardon or reward. So sacrifice is anything you give up, right? Time, money, whatever it is, anything you do in order that God will pardon something you've done or even beyond that reward you. That's what really a sacrifice kind of is. And the other word that, that we, that it's almost a dirty word, ironically, paradoxically, is holy. We don't, we don't like using the word holy a lot, but holy is, is, a, is a big deal. And you'll see um, in this passage, it never has the word holy. So you'd be like, bro, why are you using holy? Because um, that's what uh, you'll see, make perfect or sanctified. Both their roots are in this idea of holiness. And we don't like that word because it comes with this connotation of comparison and, and making yourself look better than other people, right? Holier than thou. You don't want to be holier than thou. Which, ironically, uh, if, if you think that you're holier than other people, then you're actually unholy. Um, but uh, holy means to be holy other. <laughs> different holy, you get it? Um, holy other. It means to be completely different. And it doesn't, uh, you know, when we think of holiness, I think we think of like geographic location or deeds, right? We, we think of like, okay, if I'm holy, I'm not going to go to that place. If I'm holy, I'm not going to go over there. That doesn't, that's not really holiness. Holiness is if we put me and, and someone else in a room and, I, and, I'm, and I'm made holy by God, they, I, you should be able to tell the difference between the two of us. And to be holy like God, it's, it's not to be better than, it's actually to have this character of God of love, compassion, kindness, truth-seeking, right? Um, humility, that, that's what it means to be holy. And that's, God, that, that, that's, that's what it means to be holy. And, and being holy was kind of the goal of, of the law, was to, to, to be like God, to be holy other like God. All right, enough background. Now, uh, to, our, to our first assurance, since we, since we have this, these understandings, our first assurance is that your sacrifices can't make you holy. Your sacrifices can't make you holy. And, and I almost put the word ever up there, but that seemed a little dramatic. I almost put ever up there because I think sometimes we read this and we say, your sacrifices can't make you holy yet, right? Maybe I'll find out the right combo in 2019 that will make me holy, right? Like, like I'll, I'll take care of this temple well and, and I'll go to, to, to church often enough and whatever it is and eventually I'll be holy. But I want to draw your attention to a word that he uses that's pretty strong, never, it can never, by the same sacrifices, right, by, by doing this over and over again, make perfect those who draw near. It doesn't work. Your sacrifices will never make you holy. Why? Verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's impossible for them to remove. And, and the, the analogy that was shared with me is let's let's imagine for a second that this this iPad is my sin. Okay? This is my sin. This is my this is my sin is, is rebellion towards God. This is my rebellion towards God. And and what, what sacrifices do is they cover it, right? And it would be it'd be helpful if, if my iPad was even smaller so you couldn't really see it. Usually it's a pen. You you can anyways, so it covers it, right? And and you shouldn't you don't see underneath it it covers but it doesn't remove. That's what believing in sacrifices does. It covers, but it never removes. It's still there, right? My sin is still there. It's still underneath. And another way to think about sin, too, that, that's pretty helpful is it's not just like the bad things that we do, but underneath, in our core, it's, it's also shame. It's not just guilt, it's shame. Guilt says you've done wrong things. Shame says you are wrong. I am, there's something wrong with me. 
And that's what sin really does, is that it, through all of the things that we do, it begins to say, you are this thing, right? You are, you are evil. You are worthless. You are whatever. And then what we do is we try to prove, okay, I, I, I feel worthless, but I'm going to go to church to prove that I have value. Or I, I, I feel worthless, so I, I'm, I'm going to give myself to a job that, that will reward many to prove that I have value. Right? I feel evil, or I, I, I f- there's something wrong with, with the way that I treat other people. I'm going to go to community group to prove that I'm not that. But the problem is that it never takes it away. It's always there. It can never remove. It only covers. Isn't this fun? Aren't these assurances fun? This is... This is good news. Trust me, friends, this, this is really good news. The gospel, in order to be good news, needs, we need to understand the bad news first. Your sacrifices can't make you holy. Furthermore, the next point is the one that, that really gets me. Your sacrifices, aren't, don't, they, don't, they don't just not make you holy. They actually ensure your ongoing unholiness. They're not just powerless to move you in the right direction. They are actually power to move you in the wrong direction. This, this, this has been blowing my mind recently. And, and there's uh, Romans 7 is an amazing passage if you want to read it. I, I, I didn't want to give you like a complete doctrine bomb today. But um, it, it's amazing because in it, it describes this, this pattern by which when we try to do the right thing, we're actually proving ourselves to be wrong. I, I know, this, this, is, this is wild. Verse 2 and 3, otherwise... Um, would they have ceased to be offered? Would they have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a consciousness of sins? The, 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 the sacrifices didn't end. They kept going. Why? Because we kept sinning. We kept, we kept doing it over and over again. In verse 3, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. And when I think about putting, putting a picture to this, um, this, this story might be a stretch for some of you. I've gotten more mileage out of this one story than you could possibly imagine. My wife has heard this like a thousand times. It's a silly little running story, but this is the picture that comes to mind. So um, a few years ago, I was going for a jog outside, and I, I don't wear my glasses when I run because it makes sense, right? Worse vision for higher velocity of movement. That makes sense. But um, I, I just don't, I can't do it. Anyways, my, I'm not like completely blind, but it's not good. So I'm, I'm running along on this path, and in front of me um, are, uh, th- th- there's this clump of black that's kind of moving around. And in my, I, I didn't quite know what, what this was. I was like, is that an animal? Is it what I think it is? It, you know, is it canine fecal matter covered in flies, right? Like, that's, that was my first set. But then I was like, is it an animal? And I thought, I, I should avoid it, but curiosity got the better of me. So I'm running along, and then I, I finally get to it, and it's about from me to, you know, the corner of there, and I kind of look, and indeed, my first guess was correct. And these flies decided, okay, let's, let's move our meeting from here to this running person. So, so they, they disperse and reconvene, and of course, uh, patience and rational thought are not present in, in me at that moment, and I start screaming and flailing, and, and I start running as fast as I can, and, and screaming, and... and you know, have you ever tried to swat an individual fly away? You, it makes you look uncoordinated as all get out. So you're, you know, you're just swinging as much as you can. And I'm looking back and trying to swat off these flies. If I would have been look, if I would have looked for it for just one minute, I'd have seen the path go this way. But instead, because I'm constantly trying to swat these flies looking back, 
I run headlong into a patch of nettles. Now, um, I, I, some people don't know, what, I don't know if nettles is a regional word, but nettles are these little plants that um, uh, it, it feels like, like when you touch it that someone has hit you with a switch. So imagine like running through like 50 toddlers who, are, who have like whips, and that, that's, that's what it's like running through a patch of, of nettles. And I'm screaming in pain, right? I'm freaking out. The flies have finally got off me because they're like, ha we led them to the nettles. Um, and I finally get through the nettles. Now, this next part, it, I, honestly, I might have hallucinated it. I was, I was crazy. But I, I feel like, like this actually happened because I do remember this woman walking away. So this woman walked up, and she decided to engage this person in conversation. Now, imagine, like, she just saw this dude flailing into the, into the woods. That's bravery. I would not have talked to that guy. Anyway, she's like, hey, are you okay? And I think, I think I said, I hope I didn't, but I think I said to, like, cut the, the, the situation with humor. I said, uh, I, I'd be a lot better if I could have a ride in that stroller. I, like, I, I skipped a few steps with acquaintance humor, right? Like, that, that was way too fast. And she, like, like the words, ha, ha, came. She was like, ha, ha, and, like, <laughs> walked away. Like, I don't blame you. Yeah, I would never would have talked to me in the first place. So here's the stretch. When I think of sacrifices ensuring ongoing holiness, what your sacrifices do is they constantly remind you of, of what, what's in your past, right? And I think of those flies. As I'm constantly trying to sacrifice to, to prove my worth, I'm just looking back. And my sacrifices are like, yeah, keep thinking about the past. Keep thinking about the past because guess what? I'm sending you into more pain. And that's what living in your sacrifices really looks like. It keeps reminding you of your past and you keep swatting it and it's like swatting flies. You're never really going to beat it because you're never removing it. You're just covering it. And, but when you cover it, you're reminded of it, right? So you go to church for however long and you're like, okay, I, I'm, I'm doing well. But inside you're like, but is that really enough? Is six months of church really enough? Because remember what you did? Is going to this really enough? Because you, do you remember what, what you did back then? Do, do, you mem- do you really remember why you're doing this? Try harder though. And I, and I want us to understand this assurance that your, your sacrifices actually ensure your ongoing holiness because we need, to, we need to be assured of our lack of control. This is actually on purpose by God that we, that we are assured that we don't have control of this situation. That if we try to prove over and over again our worth and our value, that we are better than our sins, it's not going to go well. And we need to accept that. Because the next two assurances are so beautiful when you accept these two. Your sacrifices ensure your ongoing and holiness. And just a question I, I, I'll put up there that you can think about at a, at a different time is, uh, what sacrifices do I trust in? What are my sacrifices of choice? You know, is it, is it giving? Is it going to church? Is it, is it whatever? And uh, don't hear me say going to church is wrong. Hopefully you're not hearing that. But I want us to do it for the right reasons. What sacrifices do I trust in? So write that down and think about that later this week. All right, so we've had, we've had plenty of bad news. Let's get to the good news. Let's get to good assurances. Verse 10, and we're going to skip on down to, to Hebrews 10.10. 10. He says, And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeated the same sacrifices which he can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered 
for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down, right? He rested at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I want you to, to hear the words, the phrases of finality in this passage. Have been sanctified, past tense, once for all, done. Verse 13, for all time a single sacrifice. Verse 14, a single offering has perfected, done, over, finished. These, these are words of finality. Christ's sacrifice has made you holy. Past tense has made you holy. And it's this idea of, um, there's two sanctif- sanctified words that, that we see in this. Um, this is where hopefully I don't uh, get too technical, but the first one is this positional sanctification, which if I could describe it um, in, in uh, more plain words, it's, it's w- when you trust in Christ's sacrifice, it's like you have this permanent badge that says, I'm in Christ. And when you have this badge, God no longer, no longer does he count your sins against you, and he won't treat you on a basis of your sins. He will treat you as a son or daughter. You were once an enemy, now you are his friend. Positionally, you are now in, in close relationship with him. And that's done. The gospel of, of Jesus Christ is not alone to repay. He doesn't pay for the sins and say, all right, now prove it over your life that my death was worth it. That's not how that works. The gospel is freedom. It's, 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 a, it's a seal that we get that, that says you have been made holy. In the Old Testament, there was, there was two different sacrifices that, that they would offer. And, and, and for most of us, we're familiar with one where they would, they would kill a lamb and that lamb's blood would cover the sins of that year. But the other lamb that Jesus is as well that is so beautiful is the lamb that they would lead out into the wilderness so that as, as a symbol that God is choosing to remember our sins no more. You can either live in your sacrifices and constantly be remembered and reminded of them, not remembered, reminded of them, or you can live in this new way where God himself chooses not to remember. Once for all, completed, completely reminded all the time, constantly reminded all the time. Isn't that beautiful? Christ's sacrifice has made you holy. And some of you are thinking, yeah, but uh, bro, bro, I still sin. So what's going on with that? And I get that. I get that. But luckily, this passage has another assurance for us that is beautiful. Verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. And after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So Christ's sacrifice has made you holy, but second, Christ's sacrifice ensures your ongoing holiness. And this, these are the two different holy words that, that are used. There's, there's this positional where, where I, I'm sealed, and, and that seal, by the way, that, that name tag is the Holy Spirit himself that lives with us and says he's with Christ, right? He, he, can, he can walk right up and talk to God. 
But behind that, there's this, there's this heart transplant that happens where the Holy Spirit begins to actually continually make us more holy. So there's positional and then progressive. That's, that's the technical term. So we, we are made holy, and then behind this seal it, inside of us, God's changing us from the inside out. And, and that, that core shame that we talked about where we're like, at my core, am I a bad person? God says, no, no more. At your core, you are a son or daughter. At your core, you want to do good things. And, and it's fighting this thing called flesh that the, the Bible calls our flesh that, that, wants, that works with anxiety to constantly say, you're not actually God's son or daughter. But the Holy Spirit is in us saying, nah, don't believe that. You can be assured that Christ has made you holy and that I'm with you all the time. And what these assurances go after is, is we have this, we, we understand that we are not in control, but someone good who is cares about me. The God of the universe who is in control cares about me and is so serious about this drawing near thing is that he has removed all distance. Instead of saying, come find me, he says, I'm going to take up residency in you. You want to draw near? I'm right here. I've removed all distance. And you can be assured of that. Those two weeks in which I was anxious all the time, I, was, I, I wasn't living out of these truths. I wasn't living out of the assuredness that God himself is inside me, that he approves of me, that, that no matter how many times I try to prove that I'm, I'm worth it, he's already proved my worth through his death. He's like, what are you doing, man? I've already, I've already placed infinite value on you. You can't pay me back, and I don't want you to. These assurances change everything and change how, how we interact with each other and our culture in an anxious culture. If you're unassured of, of these things, if you're unassured of, of Christ's residency in you, that he loves you, that he changed your position, if you're unassured of these, you will give yourself over to self-promotion and self-humiliation, which is the anxiety cycle. That this, is, this is the cycle that anxiety wants you to live in. It's to constantly promote yourself until you fail and then you feel humiliated. Until you, until you try again and you try again and you try again or, if you are assured of these things, you live out of blessed self-forgetfulness. I am God's for eternity. He, ha- he loves me. He's done all the work. He's forgiven all my sins. What are my anxieties? What are my problems? I get to spend eternity with God, right? The what-ifs kind of change. My wife and I do this what-if game too. Like, what if this happens? And it usually ends with, uh, well, then you'll die and you'll be with God forever. The one who died for you and loved you. You'll be with him forever. And as ridiculous an exercise that is, that's helped so much. It's changed everything. It's given me hope that I can be assured of. Blessed self-forgetfulness. So I'll give you an, uh, another reflection question to, to write down. And then um, uh, I'll pray, and, uh, pray to close. But I'll, I want to give you some time to actually think about this. Which assurance is God asking me to trust today? Just pick one. Which assurance is God asking me to trust today? Do I need to admit and and trust that my sacrifices actually don't make me holy? Do I need to admit and be assured of that my sacrifice is actually keeping me in a pattern of sin? Do I need to admit for the first time maybe that Christ's sacrifice has made me holy? 
changes my eternity? Do I need to admit and trust in the assurance that Christ's sacrifice actually ensures that I will be, I will be changed? I'm, I, I will be changed from the inside out. Which assurance is God asking me to trust today? Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you doesn't even feel adequate of words to say for what you've done for us, for your sacrifice. That you on the cross, that what you did, what, 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 what you did to, to pay for our sins was more than enough. And that you actually want to take up residency in us, that you want to live in us and, and want to deal with us and, and, and all, of our, all of our sins, all of our pain, all our suffering, you walk through it with us. Thank you that, that your word is very clear about the full assurance that we don't have to doubt, that we, we don't need to be 98% sure, we can be 100% sure of your love and your care and your control. God, would you transform us and, and change us? Would you help us to believe in your sacrifice and transform us from the inside out? Thank you, Jesus, for, for what you've done. Thank you um, for this group. And I'm, I'm so excited, God, to see what you're going to do um, at New City. In your name, amen.